Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm sad that you don't have Memorial Day uh, weekend plans, but I'm really thankful that you're here. It just says something about all of us that we're in the room together. Uh, it means that whatever it was you thought was going to happen this weekend maybe didn't happen. So I pray God will meet you in your grief. Um, so I come from uh, a family of hippies, and so it's like the literal opposite of people who served in the armed forces. And um, this Thursday, uh, a member of our church family, I, I did his, his funeral. He was, um, he, was a, uh, he was in the Navy but deployed with the Marines in, in Afghanistan in 2009, and his heart gave out just, just about a week ago. And... Um, it was the first time I've ever done a funeral where military honors were rendered at the, at the funeral, and it was just a really powerful and beautiful thing uh, to be a part of it. And uh, Mick, uh, that's his name, Mick Todd, also uh, known as Doc Todd on uh, places like Spotify and streaming um, platforms, was a hip-hop artist and uh, essentially gave his uh, second half of his uh, career after serving in the military to creating music that would speak to and reach uh, vets. And his album, Combat Medicine, um, which you can find on Spotify or wherever you listen to music, was uh, critically acclaimed. I actually think there was something about him this morning on NPR. Um, and it was an amazing thing to me to see when, when we did this funeral. It was in, in uh, Sandy Springs. And there were over 100 um, military guys and gals there um, specifically lots of people who'd served with him in Afghanistan. He was a field medic, and so uh, he quite literally brought medicine to people, uh, thus the, the nickname Doc. And uh, some people flew from Okinawa, Japan, to come to this, this funeral. And so I just want to say to you that if, if you've served uh, or you have a family member who has served or, or know someone who specifically is um, war dead, we just want to say that tomorrow when we... Uh, get our barbecues going and our grills going, we'll raise a glass uh, for those folks. Um, it's a, it's a, a hard and um, a meaningful thing to, to serve. And I was, that was brought into clear focus this week uh, as, I, as I sat with the family of a member of our church who was uh, taken too soon, 39 years old, with two precious girls and a wonderful wife. I've got three other things to say before I read the Bible. And so these are all just like things that I'm going to tell you. Uh, next week, Kathy Lorzell is going to be preaching here at Trinity. And she's the author of a book called Redeeming Heartache that she wrote with Dan Allender. And it's an amazing book. And she was here a number of months ago and did a conference. And it was just wonderful, like spectacular. Uh, I, would, I would encourage you to show up. Uh, Kathy and I have done, um, I have done counseling with Kathy via Zoom, so been able to really get to know her and really feel that she's got something important to say to us. And so I hope you'll come, um, and all those people who are doing more things fun than, than us this weekend, I hope that they're here to hear Kathy. Uh, next, Brad Malden is on sabbatical, so if you don't see him for the next six weeks, he's just suffering in Spain uh, with his family. Uh, so pray for him, but don't pray for him too much. Um, but we're, we're going to miss Brad, but we're excited for him. And lastly, I just want to brag on my friend. Um, so Marty, with the mustache, uh, has just released in collaballation with Trinity Music, a, 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 is it called an EP? Is that what short... 
is that, I don't know what they're called, but Midnight Pilgrim, put it up here because I want you to see it. Uh, everywhere you find music, you can find this. And it is so beautiful, y'all. Uh, it's, not, it's not classic church music. It's like super vibey. Uh, and it, it's wonderful. Not that your church music isn't vibey, Marty. Um, but this is so beautiful. I've listened to it on repeat a number of times just with God. And uh, I would just encourage you to go find it and listen to it. It's a beautiful thing. I've known Marty for over half of my life. Um, I met Marty when I was 18 and he was 19 and we have been friends. Uh, we've literally grown up. Well, I think we've mostly grown up, uh, but if there was any growing up, we did it together. And Marty, I just want to say your heart for God and the way that you uh, engage art and music to create space for people like me to find God and experience God is just a beautiful thing. I'm so proud to be your friend and so thankful for you. It's, it's good. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 2. When I was doing doctoral work a number of years ago, um, I spent three years uh, in part in the second chapter of Acts. And so this chapter is a, a very, very meaningful chapter in my own journey and in my own story as a Christian. And it's something that I, I feel is, is very important. Today is Pentecost. That's why all these red flowers are here. It's why this red thing is here and that red thing is here because we celebrate the birthday of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to read about the coming of the Spirit and the birth of the church, and then we're going to pray. And then I'm just going to say a few things that are really uh, on my heart, but also things that I think we see in this text that give us a kind of meta arc of the job of the Holy Spirit. You can find so much in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. We, we read from John and we read from 1 Corinthians already today that tell us very specific things about the Spirit. It's my conviction that today what we're about to read is going to give you the kind of biggest uh, zoomed out uh, arc of what the Spirit wants to do in your life. So I hope you can hold this like on the broadest brushstrokes. This is what the Spirit does. So let's read and then we'll pray. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Fierga and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All who were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel in the last days. 
It will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even upon my slaves. Both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We pray, Lord, that you would give us grace to hear, to Uh, See what the Holy Spirit has come to do. We pray, God, that as we on this day of Pentecost remember and celebrate the birth of the church and the coming of the Spirit, that we would think about what it means to be the church in the age of the Spirit. God, that it wouldn't just be for today, but on Monday afternoon, on Friday morning, God, we would think about what it means to be the church full of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray that we would honor you in these next few moments, that we would think true and clear and deep thoughts about you and about what we need from you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's my conviction, like I said, that this text gives us a look at who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit has done. Two weeks ago, I told you that the Holy Spirit has been likened to a wild goose. And if you've ever heard that phrase, a wild goose chase, that just means that Christians throughout the ages have said the Holy Spirit is elusive. Some have referred to the Spirit as the shy person or the introverted person of the Trinity. And so if you're an introvert, like the Holy Spirit, you're, you're, you're person. It's, um, it's really important that we think of the Spirit in terms of um, this idea of like an elusive member of the Holy Trinity, one that if you're really busy and you're really loud and you're really distracted, you, you, you're going to miss what the Spirit has come to give. And busy and loud and distracted, those are words that describe the world that we live in, the culture that we live in. Those are the kind of characteristics that are rewarded and promoted We live in a world that's obsessed with extroversion. And that works really well for people like me who can just kind of like keep ratcheting up in my own flesh and in my own shadow. And some of you, that's the same. But we live in a world where that same thing leaves some of us just feeling like we're being drowned out. If we're to live the life God has called us to live, We have to learn how to quiet ourselves in order to receive from the shy person of the Holy Trinity. God will not, despite what some flamboyant televangelists say, kick your door down and force you to stop and listen and get your attention. I believe that the thing we're supposed to hold as we think about the work of the Spirit is that God wants to make us more and more attentive to what he has for us, meaning you can miss, I can miss what God has if I live my life hurried, worried, distracted. There are a lot's happened in my life in the last couple of years, but one of the things that, it, that has happened is that I feel like in many respects, a new frontier in my own soul has been conquered to slow me down and make me more receptive. Maybe that's what God wants to do for you. Many of us are not awake to what's happening in our own lives. And our world 
numbs us out. Disappointment numbs us out. Media numbs us out. Alcohol. All the million things we engage that keep us from being really awake to what God is wanting to do. I believe that in the midst of all of that, the Lord calls to us and says, I want you to make room for the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to think about today is who is the Spirit and what do we do? How do we make room? The first thing Jesus says is wait. After his resurrection, he tells his disciples to go to Jerusalem, rent a room, and wait. We are not good at waiting. I am not good at waiting. He tells, he tells them to wait. He tells them to wait with a kind of expectation. And we get ahead of ourselves so much of the time because waiting is really hard. Because waiting is, when we wait for something, it stirs up all the junk. You know, we're going to have this worship and prayer night coming up in a couple of weeks where we're going to think about this idea of trust in the midst of anxiety. Like we feel anxious when it's time to wait. And yet Jesus looks at his friends and he says, I want you to wait. I just want to ask you, how are you at waiting? I mean, we go meet somebody at a restaurant. They're three minutes late. What do we do? We get our phone out because we do not know how to wait. We disappear into our phones, into spaces where we're not actually learning how to wait. It's a, it, 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 I believe that waiting is one of the keys to the kingdom. And we're living in a world that tells us we don't have to wait. Amazon Prime has taught us that we can get what we want, like whenever we want it. I mean, some of you write letters when it takes more than 36 hours for something to come from China. <laughs> because we're conditioned to getting it, right? Like yesterday, whatever it is. And so then we get into spaces where, you know, you want your life to be somewhere that it's not. And we don't know how to wait between where we are and where we're going where a relationship isn't where we want it to be or something in our bodies or in our souls or in our jobs or whatever. We don't know how to wait. And I just want to say that I believe that learning how to wait is one of the ways that we begin to grow. It is a discipline, not just some sort of gift you're born with. And I want to just invite you to practice waiting in really banal ways. One of the ways that we learn to wait for God or wait for the healing of a marriage or wait for um, a, a, a calling to emerge or wait for peace to come into our lives, the, one of the baby steps is just to like sit and not take your phone out when someone's late for a lunch. Like that doesn't seem that spiritual, but if we never practice waiting in really mundane ways, then why do we think that we're going to be able to wait in existential ways? One of the gifts, I think, one of the invitations of crisis in your life or suffering in your life is that suffering teaches you that you're actually not really in control. Like that we, we live under this illusion that we're in control and things are going pretty well, but then you get sick or a relationship begins to fall apart or a job goes south or something really scary happens and we're reminded of what's really always true, which is that we're really not in control. And so maybe there's a space in your life where you know you can't fix it or engage it, but you're being invited to wait. Just practice. 
The second thing Jesus says to his friends is, I want you to wait, but I want you to wait together. I know for me, when I wait alone, I get weird because all those thoughts, they like start circling in your head and you, you start to get out into some spaces that are really not terribly redemptive. And so I find it really instructive that Jesus said to his friends, like, I want you to get into a room and I want you to wait together. Like we need each other in our waiting. And that's true extrovert and introvert. Now, those of you who are introverts need to like wait with and then kind of go for a walk maybe and then wait with, but we need each other because as the family of God, we actually tether ourselves to others as we seek to learn how to cultivate discipline in our lives and to wait for what God has. Like I need you to remind me when I'm feeling neurotic or anxious or weird that, that like it's, it's not so bad, Chris. Like we can do this thing together. We can kind of work through it together. And so Jesus says to his friends, he says, I want you to wait and I want you to wait together. Here's, here's how I know that I'm not waiting well. Psalm 127, David says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the guard keeps watch in vain. He says, in vain, you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. And then he says, for God gives sleep to his beloved. When I'm not waiting well, I eat the bread of anxious toil. And the bread of anxious toil, it's addictive bread. And some of you right now are like bellied up to the buffet eating the bread of anxious toil. It's the way we try to grasp. It's what we do when we don't know how to wait for things. We just think, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to make this work. Any of you familiar with the fellow in the Bible called Abraham? God told Abraham, like, I'm going to give you uh, children and you're going to have like a whole community of people come. And Abraham thought like, I'm old. My wife is old. And so he got with one of his servants and made a baby called Ishmael that was a pain in his neck for his whole life long. And not just a pain, but like a grief. When we try to put our hands on things and, and get ahead and make something happen, when we eat the bread of anxious toil, we oftentimes end up with griefs and hurts and pains that haunt us. And some of us are in that space right now. We've made a mess of things. There are times where you'll get ahead trying to make something better and you'll actually make it worse. We do it in our relationships. We do it in our jobs. We do it when we try to fix things, when we try to get out ahead. And so where are you eating the bread of anxious toil? It's not good for you, and yet we become addicted to it. We just become addicted to trying to make it all happen. Jesus said to his friends, God's going to do something. You've got to wait, and you've got to wait together. Where are you trying to build the house in your own strength? Every time I've done that, it's ended up a mess. The best of intentions, the best of, the best of what I thought was good, and yet you just end up in a place that's worse, with a pit in your stomach, feeling like I'm just worn out, I'm cynical, I'm tired of eating that bread. For many of us, I believe it's time for you to recognize that anxious toil for what it is and then push back from the buffet and say, this isn't working. Maybe there's another way. Jesus said, wait. He said, wait together. And the third thing we see is that Jesus 
tells us, the Holy Spirit shows us that the Spirit has come to awaken life in us. Uh, the two images, and Sarah, you just, I don't know where you, there you are, you just did such an amazing job today with the set list. It just, you captured wind and, and spirit, wind and fire over and over and over again. Those two images of wind and fire. So we see in Acts 2 that the wind blew through the house. It was like a violent wind and that fire, tongues of fire rested on everyone. We see in John that Jesus, he, um, he, he breathed on his friends, Matthew tells us, um, Matt Cornwell, that Matthew, well, it was John, but that, that guy, he, he breathed and said, receive the Holy Spirit. When Pentecost came, every one of the followers of Jesus would have understood the wind and fire in terms of two stories from the Bible. One, Moses. So Moses was told by God, you're going you're gonna to set your people free. And then what did Moses do? He didn't know how to wait. So he killed somebody. He thought, well, if I'm going to get people free, I'm just going to kill me some Egyptians. And so he took matters into his own hands. He didn't know how to wait. And he killed someone and they said, ah, you're the guy who killed the guy. And then what did Moses do? He escapes to Midian, which is like the middle of nowhere, the back end of nowhere, redneck Israel. He's feeling sorry for himself because he was called to do something and he didn't know how to wait. And when he was out there feeling sorry for himself, tending his father-in-law's sheep, he sees a burning bush. And in the burning bush, God put Moses back on track and got him back in the game. He took a discouraged, disappointed, isolated, rejected, fatalistic person. And he said, I am going to use fire to get you back in the game. He spoke to him out of fire and said, it's not too late. Wind, the, the Valley of Dry Bones. Remember that story? an army that used to be formidable and now is just bones, the wind of God, the breath of God breathes on those bones and brings them back to life. When the Holy Spirit shows up at Pentecost, he's not just doing clever tricks that are like the equivalent of a day at Six Flags or chill bumps or whatever. Oftentimes though, we will experience, and I'm gonna say more about that in a few minutes, the feelings of faith. What he's doing in wind and fire, what wind and fire mean is that God takes dead things and brings them back to life. So where do you feel dead? Where do you feel discouraged? Where do you feel cynical? Where do you feel like, well, it's too late for me? That's what Moses said. That's what those dry bones were screaming, it's too late for us. Just the loss itself says that. When the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, the Spirit finds a group of hidden, afraid people who are behind closed doors and breathes on them and ignites a fire in them that gets them back to places of life. The Lord, through the Holy Spirit, is always looking to breathe and ignite the parts of you that get pulled out of life. So where are you out of life right now? Where have you been sidelined? The Holy Spirit wants to come into those places. And I just want to say, if the Spirit doesn't come there, then what are we doing? The Spirit wants to go into the places that are hard. That's what the Spirit does. I would argue that the Holy Spirit's always seeking out the hard places. We need to invite the Spirit in to participate with the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit ignites life. It's a beautiful thing. It's an important thing. Number four, the Holy Spirit wants to move you outward toward other people. 
So these people who are hidden away, cloistered away, afraid, discouraged, all that stuff, when the Spirit comes, the immediate impulse is to move them outward toward other people. So Pentecost is a Jewish agricultural festival. So think about like if you grew up in a mountain town where they had like the corn festival or something like that, that was kind of like the Jewish equivalent for Pentecost. It was where they celebrated the harvest coming in. They gave first fruits to God. And so people would have come from all over. People who had converted to Judaism, people who had lived in other places as Jews that were sort of on the edges that spoke other languages, they would come into Jerusalem and celebrate this big party. It was probably an amazing time. They still do it. Pentecost is like a thing. It's a Jewish thing. Every one of those people, for the most part, would have spoken one of a couple of languages. They, they would have had some understanding of Greek and Hebrew. They would have probably understood some Aramaic. Uh, they also, many of them would have spoken like tribal languages or more far-flung like remote languages. So when the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak in the heart language of all these people. Which is really interesting because what it means is God could have just spoken to them in one of those few languages. But he chooses to speak in their childhood tongue. Now for all of you in this room for whom English is your second language, you know that you can understand things someone says to you in your second or your third language. But if you want to really get the joke or feel that nuanced feeling, your childhood language is the one that you go to. It's what you dream in, for instance, or think in. The Holy Spirit enables people to hear about goodness through other people in their heart language. Now, sometimes that might mean the, the acquisition supernaturally of a language. I, I know people for whom they have learned languages remarkably fast and attribute that to the work of the Spirit. But for all of us, I think it means being open and curious about the fact that the Holy Spirit might want to use you to connect with people in a way that bypasses other things and gets right down to the matter. So two weeks ago, I was in a coffee shop and I make it a habit to like, Wake up and say, Holy Spirit, if you want to use me today, I want you to use me. I'm looking for opportunities to be used by God. Um, it's been something that I've done a lot in the past and I'm doing more recently where I just ask him. And, it, and, and I don't want people when I'm out to know what I do for a job because the minute they know what I do for a job, it gets weird. It's like oh, either hostility or like that weird preacher conversation happens and I don't, it just, it doesn't go where I want it to go. So I try to keep my job secret as much as I can. Um, I don't, short of lying. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago, I was in a coffee shop and somebody was reading a book, the barista was, and it wasn't super busy. And I felt just like this pull to just ask her what she was reading. And she said, well, I'm reading this book. And she began to talk about it, and I sensed that there was like a real open door. It's like, man, she's not giving me a one-sentence answer. Like, she's really talking about this book. And then I began to ask her some questions, and she slides her journal across the table and asks me to read this two-page section of her journal. <laughs> I mean, that's not normal. And that didn't happen because I was a pastor. It didn't happen because I was doing something impressive. I think the Holy Spirit was, was, was knocking on her door and another human was just paying attention and willing to just engage and see what was going to happen. You can do that. There's so much more life out there waiting for us if we'll just be available. 
God's got stuff for you. The Holy Spirit wants to put you back in places of participation with him. And that leads me to the last thing. Everybody participates. The thing I love about the quoting of Joel, the prophet, is that everyone, I think I'm somewhere between being an old man and a young man. I feel like I'm moving from visions to dreams in my life. There's this transition space, but men and women and slave and free, privileged and disadvantaged, young and old, everyone gets to experience. Everyone gets in on this. And I think that you need to recognize that God wants you to participate with him in an adventure. Back to the whole drunk at nine o'clock, proof that early Christians were Georgia fans. (laughs) Seriously though, it's telling that people thought they were drunk. There was something emotive happening. And I just want to say this to you, that God wants you, all of us, to have a rightly calibrated emotional expression in our faith. I tend to be too emotional if left to my own devices. And so a part of me having a rightly calibrated emotional experience and participation is me reining it in and knowing what's really going on versus just being a live wire. For others of you who struggle to experience or express emotion, it will mean an opening up or a blossoming of emotion. Wherever we are, God invites us to be faithfully, rightly calibrated in an emotional experience of our faith. You are not just a brain on a stick. You are a thinking feeling child of God. So what does that look like for you? I believe the Lord wants you to feel appropriately and express your feelings appropriately. And for some of you like me, it's going to be to like, just like rein it in a little bit. But for others of you, it's going to be to open it up a little bit. Tim Keller died this last week and, um, I just have so much admiration and respect for him. Um, I spent a little bit of time with him in, in my, my pastoral career many years ago, and I have friends that are very close to him, and I just hold him in such high regard. Um, Dr. Keller was one of those people who thought better, bigger, faster than everybody else, but he also was a deep feeler when it came to God. He brought these things together and he participated in the renewal of all things, specifically in the heart of New York City in a way that I think we're all meant to experience in one way or another. You need to bring your brain and your heart to the party. And the Holy Spirit cares a whole lot about what's going on right here. So here's the question I want to ask you. What is Jesus inviting you and where is he inviting you to wait with expectation? Where are you living between what you hope for and where you are? And how is he inviting you to wait with expectation? And a second question, what would it look like for the spirit to enter into that waiting? And I want to be really bold with you. I think some of us need to invite the Holy Spirit into very specific spaces into a relationship, into an inner struggle, into something that you feel like you're hoping for and waiting for, but is not yet. And I would encourage you to not just do it once, but to do it over and over and over again. The Spirit wants to enter into that place. If we're able, let's stand together.
I would encourage you just this week to hold this in your journaling and your praying and your thinking, where is the Spirit inviting you to wait? Every Sunday we come to communion and we're fed by God and I'm so thankful for that. It's such a beautiful thing to come and be fed as we're learning to wait, as we're hoping for life. Before we come, we quiet our hearts and confess our sin. And for some of us, that's going to be just, I'm not good at waiting. Um, Let's silently confess our faults against God and against our neighbor, and then we'll pray a prayer of confession together. But first, let's just be still for a few moments.